Hello and welcome back to the Attribution Marketing Podcast powered by LeadsRx. On today's episode, we have Brian Barletta from Sounds Profitable. Brian is one of the leading experts and resources in the podcast advertising and marketing space, as well as all of the technology that underpins the entire industry. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Happy to have you. So I was poking around on your LinkedIn and I'm obviously a subscriber on the newsletter. And I wanted you to first start off by telling us a little bit about Tom Webster, how he's on the team now and what you two are planning to do. Absolutely. So Tom Webster joined us in June. And I say us, meaning us now, because Sounds Profitable is now two people. Um, in September, we hit our two-year anniversary, which is incredible uh, that this this started as basically Brian writes on Medium and is now, you know, on industry newsletter, podcasts, live events. And, you know, Tom is one of the leading voices in research and podcasting. He had a, you know, a major hand in Edison Research's uh, Share of Ear, Infinite Dial, Super Listeners, all those reports. I mean, my entire career, I've spent watching his presentations to get a beat on what's going on in the podcast space. So Tom came on board for us to bring things a little bit further, to do things that are a little bit more cutting edge and actionable in the research space so that every single quarter, we're giving everybody in the industry material that they can go to market with to go raise capital to go win business to go prove their perspective on something and really get us to blow past those ieb estimates that we're only going to hit you know two three four billion in the next couple of years and, and really ramp us up to 10 billion as fast as possible as a podcast industry well let me say on behalf of everyone in the podcasting space thank you so much for you two guys blazing the trail for us I was able to poke around a bit on the site and I found the creator study and I had two questions for you. The first question is, what did you mean when you said it is the first credible research study on that topic? The second point that I noticed is about 40% of creators had an advanced degree and that was surprising to me because I don't think that 40% of TikTok creators or YouTube creators have an advanced degree. And so I was curious why you thought that might be the case in the podcasting industry. With the focus on Credible to start, our goal there was to use surveys to get a good reading of the US population. I think there's been a lot of other surveys out there about who is making podcasts by platform, and you'll find those from each hosting platform. They've done them for a while, but this is of the US population. And I think that that is a little bit more important as a baseline for other people to kind of weigh themselves against. And this is a great example of what we're trying to do. We built that study as something that says, here is great information, usable, actionable, and can tell you more about what's going on today. And people have used that index to gain funding. People have used that as justification to put into more effort to get more creators on their platform that are a little bit more diverse and so many other really great things. On the second question of degrees, you know, that is a little bit high. It is something that, you know, sometimes the data comes back and I'm just getting my feet wet a little bit on data. I am, at least on the survey side, still pretty new to that side of things. So it was always interesting to look at. But if you think about it, right, a lot of people in podcasting came from radio and a lot of people who got into podcasting at the early days had the advantage of having equipment themselves, had the skill and time to learn how to edit that audio equipment, 
some things taught in college, some things just taught and more available to people that have a little bit more free time or more education. Um, and But I think we're going to start to see that number go down further and further as we have amazing tools available like Anchor, which gets panned for whatever reason. But the fact that my kid can grab my iPhone and easily just start a podcast on Anchor is wild and really exciting. And then we have amazing tools like Squadcast and Zencaster, Riverside, all these other ones that make it really easy to record immediately with friends, use Descript and all these other tools that are not heavy waveform editors, but text-based editors. Edit Eddie is a free one that you can use. So I think we're going to see that drop further and further and further as we get deeper into this. But remember that this research, the question asked was, have you ever been a podcast creator. And that could be any aspect of the creation process. So asking that question to a survey respondent panel, I'm going to assume that we're going to catch people that, you know, maybe 15 years ago, they were participating in podcasts, and they might not be today. So it's something that we're looking to improve as the as we do the next year's study. Okay, fair point. I wanted to follow up, you obviously mentioned a bunch of brands in the technology space, publishing space. And my question to you is, since we spoke last, what has changed in the industry? Talk about these acquisitions, how some of the key players, maybe Spotify, wink, wink, has made some changes in acquisitions. Talk us through those, because I think they really do impact just about everyone in the podcasting universe. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of really cool acquisitions overall, but I think the ones that we really need to focus on are the ones that come from Spotify. Spotify has purchased Wushka since we last talked, and so Wushka is another hosting platform, but had a really cool broadcast to podcast translation service, so taking a streamed broadcast and turning it into a podcast very efficiently, um, which is really important because you know, Triton Digital has it, um, Odyssey has it with Amperwave coming out, and Stream Guys has their own version of it as well. And these are all interesting tools uh, that are attracting people from the radio space into podcasting. Then Spotify took two other major players off the table. They took off pod sites and chartable uh, two attribution and uh, analytics partners that were honestly at the top of the top three, I would say. Um, I think the third spot was well contested. I think Claritas held that spot for a bit. I think Leeds RX did a really good job in there too. But I think what we learned more than anything else is that Spotify is here to shake up the space because these third-party solutions were the go-to for a lot of people in the space because of the visual design of it or the ease of use or the fact that they just got in front of the right advertisers and now by taking it off the table as third party and making it first party it starts us all from square one no matter what people think i think first party data is incredibly valuable i think that spotify absolutely should have bought them and should be using that to augment and optimize their campaigns going forward and pass amazing data that you can't get anywhere else but i do not think that it is appropriate for a buyer to rely on first party data to determine if their campaign was a success or not, or if they hit their goal numbers or not. I think that that's the role of third party. The biggest flaw with that in podcasting, and the reason why there's been so much struggle with attribution and analytics in podcasting, is because there's no history of a, uh, a buyer or even a publisher saying, hey, my third party numbers say 800,000 and your platform says a million, so I'm only gonna pay 800,000, and that being upheld. It doesn't happen. You know, Google's not in the space for analytics. We don't have Seismic. We don't have any of the old incumbents or anything like that that allow you to really challenge your first party numbers or the hosting platform or the ad server numbers. So in podcasting, because of how it works, 
third party attribution is not seen as important. But I think as we get bigger holding companies, Horizon and Hearts and Science are really active now. Group M uh, has been active for a while. These are all good signs that we're going to see the push on third party, which is really great because solutions like what LeadsRx offers really excites me and allows that to push into podcasting and remind people that, hey, we do need third party solutions to make sure that this is successful. So those are the acquisitions that really have my attention uh, right now. Yeah, it's quite a changing landscape. And I know you basically broke this down in your in your previous answer, but I wanted to just go go at it one more time and and see if we can't flesh it out a little bit more because I think to to certain advertisers or people that are just new in this space the kind of inherent conflict of interest uh, isn't isn't obvious so to us we like to say uh, it's sort of like grading your own homework if you were to sell someone an advertising platform uh, an advertising package and then turn around and tell them exactly how that advertising package did in terms of delivery, then they're most likely going to come back and tell you that it did really well. So I was hoping you could break down with maybe an example or two of that conflict of interest when Spotify is able to grade its own homework. What is the impact to that advertiser? Yeah, I, I don't want to say that people are going to lie or misrepresent numbers. I, you know, I think that that feels bad, but I just feel like the, the truth is, is that methodologies can get too close or data sets can be, you know, overlapping, right? we need something to be a little bit more neutral for us to find comfort with it. Remember that, you know, you can put all the attribution partners on one campaign and get slightly different directions. But if you follow them on a general landscape, if you follow them for directional information, you're going to be able to optimize your campaigns in similar ways. Like, I don't think that that's a bad thing there. But having the faith and the comfort, having the ability to use that data across all of your campaigns, sometimes not even just podcasting, is really powerful. And pod sites and Chartable, while they can be used across all of podcasting right now, they're getting into streaming audio, they can't be used everywhere. And that can be a roadblock for some people looking for multi-touch, looking for other solutions like that. So I, I don't know, it, it does feel bad um, to sit there and say that like, I don't know, it it's tough. I don't in any way want to discredit Spotify, Podsites, or Chartable. I think they're all amazing pieces of technology, but I think that your alignment is kind of messed up when you're trying to serve too many people, right? Because the goal is as much revenue consistently in the platform as possible. Whereas if there's a third-party attribution partner and there is a hosting platform and there's an ad server, all three of them have different clients. So I think that that's really important there, that we need to remember that it's hard to have multiple different clients and make sure that, you know, you're you're doing the best by all of them. So that's why I really like third party solutions. So is there no just kind of industry wide standard for a, a stream is a stream, a download is a download and an impression is an ad impression? I mean, is there any way that everybody in the industry can compare apples to apples? Just break that down for us about how that works. Uh, because people use the same words to describe what they think is the same thing. But depending on what your uh, technology is or who your providers are, uh, those words might not mean the same thing as you look to deploy your ad spend across a variety of partners. So talk us through uh, if there's some sort of standardization or if there should be across those kind of key words that are used to measure the effectiveness of podcasting. 
there should be more standardization. I mean, we're, you know, we're almost 20 years into podcasting. Um, I think it's over five years since we've had the first IAB standard. But basically, a, a download is 60 seconds of audio has been downloaded to your device in a 24-hour period, right? So when you press play on a podcast, it's making a download request. It's like downloading a file from Dropbox. It's not a stream. In the same way that pressing play on Netflix is in a stream, it's a progressive download. Your application is saying, give me X amount of this episode, and the hosting platform is sending it back. Where Netflix is like a closed loop, and they know both sides, the podcast side of it isn't, right? Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google are the aggregators, and then the hosting platforms are all these different partners, and they don't have special relationships unless you're Megaphone and Spotify, or Anchor and Spotify or Wushka. I mean, I guess Wushka's rolled into Megaphone now and Spotify. So that's something really important to keep in mind there. A download is 60 seconds of audio has been downloaded and specifying audio because it's possible for the file itself to have some weight to it at the front of it for the ID3 tag, which tells you the title, the description, the information, the image assets to it. So that can weigh it down a little bit. That usually is is pretty valid. I mean, we don't run into a lot of situations where we're seeing auto download as much. Apple has made changes to their platform to remove auto download if people are not active in it. And, you know, not a lot of other applications actually do that. So when we say a download, what we mean is an intent based play 90% of the time. Then there's ad delivered, which we really should have been calling impression, which is the portion of the episode with an ad in it has been downloaded. This is for dynamic ad insertion, which is the only way to serve ads and podcast advertising on a technical level. You can do baked in, which means that part of the file itself as it was uploaded to the host has the ad in it. And that's not handled by the hosting platform to identify where the ad is. So little bit of, of shop talk there, mostly just to say, because these are podcast advertising terms and the confusion comes from Spotify coming to market, talking about their in-app audio advertising, which is very cool. And their ability to serve some of those ads into podcasts because they do own some of them or they have relationships with hosts on Megaphone. Um, but so much of Megaphone's inventory, so much of Megaphone's ad spend is done through dynamic ad insertion, but we're seeing Spotify go to market and talk about streaming ad impressions in podcasting. We're talking about streaming ad insertion. We're talking about live information. Uh, and they say this when the campaigns are blended or when the fact is that, you know, it's that's not podcasting. That's their own unique walled garden, which is super cool and a channel and a channel everybody should check out. But the truth of it is, is that it's, you know, it's a different channel. And we need to separate that because that confusion is going to push people away from podcasting. Well said. And it's, uh, it's an ever-changing landscape. And, um, you know, you can't blame, can't blame Spotify for doing what's best for Spotify. But ultimately, you know, we're here to, to have a fair ecosystem of, of advertisers and publishers and getting the results that people expect. So I think one of the ways that LeadsRx tries to deliver results to uh, our clients that are getting data out of their marketing and advertising technology stacks is by looking at everything in a multi-touch landscape. And I know that you had mentioned the word multi-touch, but I also know that podcasting has some of its own interesting and unique technological challenges uh, to deliver a fully robust sort of multi-touch uh, attribution analysis of ads that happen uh, in the podcasting medium. So if you would, can you just talk us through what is it about the podcast technology that makes multi-touch so difficult to deploy properly? Yeah. So 
Um, podcast advertising really focused on the easiest way to get things going. So much of podcast advertising was built around working with smaller teams with experimental budgets that didn't have the pull to get the things they needed to on the advertiser's site as quickly, or the buyer that they were working with wasn't responsible for a big enough of the budget or couldn't push their way up. Multi-touch is very cool. I think modeled is very cool. I think surveys are very cool. There's all these different areas, but I think podcasting, the norms in podcasting have shifted towards modeling because it's easier, not because necessarily it's better. Back when I was working at uh, Barometric, we worked with a major auto brand and a major um, public radio station. And we would test, we'd do A-B tests to see how um, you know a, a PSA performed against the podcast ad itself, right? The the specific ad for that auto insurance brand. And it would come back like negative 0.2%. And everybody would freak out and the brand would go, no, that's good for us. We're so well known that as long as it's like not negative 2%, it's still an improvement. And it's still the type of things we want to put our money in because this is a branding exercise for us. And so that was always very interesting to me, always very eye-opening. And being able to do that, being able to serve the PSA to one set of users and make sure that the exposed ad is served definitely not to that set of users because any overlap has to be thrown out is really powerful. We used to do other things. We used to do, you know, two weeks before the campaign went live, we would have the pixel there. And so you'd be able to compare the campaign success against the baseline of the website versus what's happening when the campaign is live so that you can see how is, you know, how is the baseline working with other ad campaigns that we don't know about versus what's happening once this campaign is live. And so many other really amazing things, but the truth is podcast advertising can be difficult. Like I said, you're working with smaller teams, smaller budgets, less access. So modeled became the focus. The focus wasn't, um, you know, A-B testing against the media or A-B testing against the site itself. It was when the exposure happened, how do we appropriately measure it against a baseline of who we think that user is? So if I have my own device graph, I take a look at that user, I make a look like for it, they definitely haven't listened to the ad, they were active within the same hour, they're relatively in the same geolocation, they match the same segment information or whatever pool I want. And that becomes my control group. And my goal is just to build, my goal is just to beat attribution against the control group. I think that has tons of legs. It's very easy to use, but I don't think it's the whole picture. And I think we need to get back to remembering we're servicing the advertiser and the buyer, and we need to provide more options. So multi-touch being able to track everything in podcasting with everything in streaming, with everything in direct mail, you know, digital display, out of home, all of these different neat things. I think that that's really important. You know, I remember the days when I worked in the rich media space in mobile advertising and the search and social team would hate, hate being in the same room because they hated being measured at the same time. But look where we are now, right? We found ways to measure search and social together with everything else because they're such a big part of the budget and they need to be seen in the same report, the same graph, the same focus or they become a test budget easily replaced and removed. So if our goal as podcasting is to become part of that mainstay, we have to fit into these options. And that includes multi-touch attribution. Preach. Sounds beautiful, man. Well done. Uh, we'll, we'll turn the corner here a little more uh, softball questions for you. I think one of the things that we always want to take your temperature on is what types of ads are working the best. And I know what you're probably going to say is, well, it depends, but what's better, what's working these days or what's more trendy, these host red ads or these sort of traditional 
like overproduced commercials that you might hear on the radio? Which ones are you seeing either more often, more frequently, or having a better impact? So we actually did a study on this and, and I skipped over this before. Our research comes out every quarter. It's completely free. Everything we do at Sounds Profitable is free. The only thing that's gated is our live events. And that's our goal is to create like an industry social where people can kind of let their hair down and really talk about how things work and the struggles that they're seeing and not have reporters and not have any of it taken out of context. Besides that, everything else is completely free, right? We have the weekly newsletter. We have the research every quarter. We have our product deep dives. We have our podcast. All that stuff is really focused on getting everybody up to speed. And so we did a research report that came out at the end of August called After These Messages. And we'll be following it up with We'll Be Right Back. We're all playing off that ABC Saturday morning cartoons, um, you know, commercial break. And the focus of the report was which execution is going to work better host read live read host read scripted or announcer read scripted we worked with jordan harbinger and he gave us a clip with him and matthew mcconaughey and then we used athletic greens and we had ashley hammer pritchard read as the announcer and jordan read as the host for both takes and the results were awesome I think it depends is, you know, the worst answer I can give you, but also kind of true because the report showed that the difference between a well-executed announcer read ad and a, you know, well-executed live read host read ad were trivial. We're talking single digit percentage difference, right? Enough that you can justify it as a business case for any of them. But one thing that I can tell you is that if the quality of the ad doesn't match the quality of the show, if the content of the ad or the product in the ad doesn't match the context of the show, isn't a good fit for the listeners of the show, not just a listener receiving the ad, but the listeners of the show, it doesn't jive right with the show, the ad will not perform well. That's the truth of it. Bad ads will be survived by the show. I mean, if your content is so bad that three bad ads um, will kick a listener off from listening, then it wasn't the ads that lost the person. It was your show. So we try and focus on the fact that your show is good enough that people continue to listen. The ads can detract from it, but how do you really pull them in? And it's being purposeful with those creations. So, you know, live read is, uh, you know, not a specific time. And they really found that the people who were more familiar or more comfortable with the host liked the live read because it was content. It was more conversation from that person. It was more real. But the people who were not familiar with the host were just as fine with the host read scripted and the announcer read because it was just content in the show. They didn't have that association yet. And even sometimes the host read live read, which can go on longer, was even a little bit off-putting. So those are all things to keep in mind there. But context is everything. Frequency capping is going to become more and more of an issue, whether it's within the specific episode, within the series of episodes. God, I've been bombarded lately downloading 20 episodes at a time because I'm going to binge them on a flight or something. And hearing the same ad twice per episode, all 20 episodes is just wild, right? That's such an absolute abuse for the advertiser and for the listener. I think what we need to do right now is we really need to dive into the creative connection and we have a massive lack of creative studios out there or advertising agencies out there with audio creative experience and we just assume that bullet points are going to be enough because when you go to buy an ad it's do you want host read or announcer ad awesome do you want 30 60 90 120 seconds do you want it pre-roll mid-roll post-roll do you want it first spot second spot third spot or fourth spot right how many how many impressions do you want total how many frequency cap do you want per episode 
all of these different things. And at the end of it, you're just like, cool. Okay. So how do you want to do creative? And they're like, here's the bullet points. And they just kind of walk away. We need to have that as the start of it, right? You don't do that in TV. You don't do that in display. We need to have the, you know, the sonic branding, the audio logo figured out sooner than later. So that's an interesting point. I hadn't uh, heard a breakdown like that before. I, you know, I want to kind of say it back to you. You tell me if I got this correct. So it's almost like, you know, you don't want to have uh, an advertisement for a product or a service that doesn't line up to the content of the show. You don't want to have creative or copy uh, that has like a, a decrease in production value so that it's almost like a jarring experience once it comes on. And, you know, to me, it's almost like people watch a Super Bowl, but they talk about how great the ads are. Um, I'm typically not one of those people, uh, but that's the perception. And I think kind of what I'm hearing from you is that if advertisers and the creative teams that are putting those ads together just take the time to step up the creative step, step up the creativity uh, and the production values, you're going to have a lot better experience for the listener. And therefore, you're going to have uh, great results or better results um, regardless if you have host read or a traditional commercial. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm really excited to see how, uh, how we get into like celebrity endorsements. We just don't have them in podcasting, right? The announcer ad are just names that we don't know, but what happens when that announcer read for that ad becomes someone famous, becomes someone maybe doing another podcast and they're now, they're doing a version that's not to be run on their specific podcast could be really powerful. We need to explore that more, I think. Well, Brian, thank you so much for dropping the knowledge on the show. If you would, this last question is going to be a simple one. Tell folks where they can find out more information about you and Sounds Profitable. Absolutely. You can go to soundsprofitable.com and you can find everything there. We're redesigning the website by the end of the year, so please bear with us. But please sign up for the newsletter. You know, uh, Check out all the research there. The deep dives are a passion product for me. It's me passionately going through and examining these products that these companies are selling for 30 to 60 minutes. I'm asking tough questions, getting solid answers, and it's really a fun way to understand how all this tech works. So soundsprofitable.com and then Brian at Sounds Profitable, spelt with a Y on purpose, uh, but an I if you make an accident. So I'd love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much to Brian Barletta for being on the show and sharing all of that knowledge. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off.